Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the UEP. <laughs> if you guys have suggestions for a new name, please email us. We hate it. Welcome back to another episode of the UE podcast. Thank you all for joining me again. Today is a very special episode because I am introducing the new co-host to the series. She is from Connecticut and is in her second year of the Master's of Arts in Urban and Environmental Planning and Policy at UEP. Her career interests are in transportation planning and accessibility. And she is currently working on her thesis, researching public transportation in the national parks. You can also catch her three nights a week serving up drinks at good old PJ Ryan's in Teal Square. And she's the person that introduced me to the power of tarot card readings. Please give it up for our new co-host, Allie Christensen. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Wow. What a wonderful introduction. Of course. Thank you for um, introducing me. Yes. Um, I am very excited to be here and to be your new co-host on this podcast. I feel that I can offer a good perspective, especially with a background in math and American studies. That's what I did my undergrad in. I feel like it's a very interdisciplinary perspective. Um, yeah. Awesome. Thank you for having excited me. Excited to have you here. And I actually uh, brought a little special gift with me today. Oh, you did? Yeah, I did. I brought my tarot deck. Ooh. Um, so that's funny that you introduced me with that. But I um, thought that we could maybe jump off with a little tarot reading to start our week. Heck yeah, let's do it. Beautiful. So um, just a little background of how I got into tarot. It was peak COVID, um, right as everything shut down. I found it via TikTok, as many people did. I don't know if anybody was on that side of TikTok, but I very much was. <laughs> and I found it to be a really great way to reflect on just my life around me and uh, my surroundings. And there wasn't really much else to do in times of sitting at home. So I was like, might as well pick up a couple books and read about it and learn about it. And I ended up loving it. So Nice. I actually didn't know that you picked it up during the pandemic. I... I guess I assumed that you had been doing it for much longer. Yeah, well, I picked it up. Well, I had had like books and read up on about it because like I've always liked like Oculus Sciences and things like that. Just mm -hmm. because I don't know, I'm a very like spooky person. Like Halloween is very much my favorite <laughs> time of year because it's very spooky, spooky, scary. Um, so I've, I've like read about it and known about it for a long time. Um, but I was like more into like crystals and stuff before. And then tarot just kind of was a natural fall especially during COVID and when looking mm -hmm. for ways to reflect. And I'm not the best journaler. Awesome. So. so what's the deck you brought with you today? So I brought Mystic Mondays, which was my first tarot deck. I have a couple different decks. This one is my favorite just because it is my first. So it's close to my heart. My cousin gave you it to me. You never forget the first. Yeah, you never forget your first. First love, baby. <laughs> first love. Uh, my cousin actually gave me this um, deck because... Um, it, there's like a, super, a superstitious thing where I'm a very superstitious person, but um, you're not supposed to buy your first deck. Somebody, It's supposed to be gifted to you. Mm. So she gifted me my first deck and in return I gifted her one because, you know, giving back. Awesome. So I guess with that. So, so what do we do next? So you're shuffling these cards, I see. Yep. So um, I'll just kind of walk you guys through this. So normally I do a quick shuffle um, and I'll usually hand it to the person in which I'm doing the reading for. But since you guys are listeners, I'm, I'm going to be putting my intentions into these cards for the viewership of this podcast. So thinking all positive thoughts and bringing 
kindness and happiness into everybody's lives, putting those intentions into these cards. I'm gonna knock it three times for good luck. And then I am going to put the deck down with my left hand, split it in half, split the larger deck in half again, and then flip all the top cards. Wow, okay, so I put a lot of um, love intentionality into this. So we obviously see Nine of Cups, the Lover's Card, and the Princess of Pentacles. So these are all very positive outcome cards. Um, there's like a lot of warmth to them. Um, the Nine of Cups is usually um, you're about to obtain some type of love or passion in your life. So whether that be career aspirations or personal lives, there's going to be a lot of abundance um, in your lives. The Princess of Pentacles is um, and when you see the pentacles in any type of suit, it usually pertains to finances. Um, so the Princess of Pentacles is somebody who is very much like on top of their finances and has it together. And um, yeah, they're able to keep an abundance of things in, together in one piece. And then the lovers. So if you're, if it's that midpoint in the semester, folks, if you're feeling like it's hard to juggle all those balls and homework assignments and things like that, the cards are telling you, you got it. Yeah, the cards are telling you that you got it and you can keep it together and you are powerful and can not controlling but in control of your life and the different aspects that you may feel that you are juggling Love. and and then um the last card is the lover's card if you're a gemini out there this is your tarot card it is part of the major arcana which is the um, smaller part of the deck but they're usually more significant cards um usually um signify like a specific moment in time a specific person um something more um like a life-changing moment like i don't want to say life-changing because it's not always but maybe like a pivotal moment in your life i'll mm -hmm. say that um but the lover's card is showing synchronicity in your life and that things are going the way that they are supposed to and it's going to, according to plan so all positivity in these cards and saying that you guys got it and just keep going in the way that the universe is telling you and everything will come out just fine. Awesome. You know what I was thinking about today in community resilience? Mm -hmm. I'm in community resilience in, in the age of Anthropocene. That's such a hard word for me to say. <laughs> I don't know why I like struggle with it every single time. Um, but anyway, I was thinking about just like community building in general today in class. Like I was kind of like day dozing off a little bit, just like daydreaming and thinking. But like we are talking about how to build and sustain a resilient community um, in the face of disaster, trauma, um, just, you know, the changing world and it, for the future and what's to come. Um, and I was really thinking about how this is like so cheesy and corny, but like I just started my new job at PJ Ryan's and they have like such a re like a hefty regular community. Like I literally got this job and immediately I had to learn like 50 people's names and like their whole life stories, like how many kids they have, where they're from, what they do for a job. Like, and I was like, oh my God, like all these people are so invested in their lives, like in each other's lives in the, in that space. And I was like, wow, this is actually like really nice. Like. I, I never really thought of like working at a bar as like building a community, but like one of them broke their hip one time, um, like in the winter because he like slept on ice and he lived right across the street from the bar 
And like he yelled out for help and literally somebody from the bar came and helped him. Like, mm. and they were all like right there and like helping him. Like one of them is like a defense lawyer for um, one of my coworkers. Like they're all like very much like intertwined. And like the sweetest thing happened the other day. I got invited to like one of their Halloween parties cause they're a part of the Sons of Italy in Somerville. So they have a Halloween party and uh, she was like, hand me your phone and I'll text you the invite. Please come and like, you'll be my guest. And like, I barely know her, but like, I was like, that's like really nice that that's you're like fun. inviting me to like all these like events like in your life. Hmm. Are there th- like, I mean, obviously alcohol is a great community uh, builder. It really is. But are there, like, can you think, are there aspects of the community that's built by patroning a bar frequently like what are the what are the innate qualities that made that bar community a community like can the can that be transferred over to building oh for sure i don't think it's just the alcohol that like brings them in you know like it's fun to say that like at the bar and like have a good time with your friends and everything but I think it really just provides like a safe space for them to come like they see that place as like a sanctuary for their day like no matter what happens whatever frustrations like what's well, what they call the third place yeah exactly it's a third it's very much a third place so i think it's integrating um a staff who is a part of the community so you're not only just like serving patrons of a bar you're serving your friends who owns the bar um his name is connor he's a somerville community member he's originally from uh dublin ireland um he has i believe two kids uh one is about to go into college so i've been talking to him about um so he's part of the he's part of the community oh absolutely Yeah. yeah and he he very much fosters that environment um, because anytime he like comes in, he'll make sure to say hi to all of his regulars. He'll buy them a drink. Mm-hmm. He'll, you know, con- like converse with them and have like a good time and really like sustain that relationship. So I feel like it's also like a trusting environment. Like everybody there, like for the most part, I would say really trust one mm-hmm. another. I mean, that's one of the key things to building community is establishing trust between individuals. Yeah. Like Somerville. Like, do you have a connection Mm. in Somerville that you feel like really connected to one particular area or site? You haven't found a place yet? No. Hmm. We should get on that. Go out, go exploring. I'm just like so anti-Boston. Why is that? Like I'm trying to not be, but I'm just over it. why why tell me because i grew i you know i grew up in not in boston but going to field trips in boston in high school and yeah you're close new hampshire yeah i mean somerville's cute i've really found a place here in somerville i feel Mm. like i feel really connected here i I mean you'll let's be honest you'll find you would find you would feel that anywhere i feel like you could just pop down anywhere and yeah yeah i probably could but i've found a particular love for this place Mm -hmm. it took me a while though it really did it took me like about a year i really okay well i guess in that sense like i still got time yeah because i mean i lived in medford for september to december last year and then didn't live here yeah it took me about a year um i really struggled (coughs) actually when i first moved here because where I live is a little bit further away from any public transportation and it's a 
definitely walk heavy um, to basically anywhere I want to go. Um, and I also feel really far away from a lot of my friends who live, say, down in Southie or the North End or, you know, Brookline. I do feel like it's hard for me to go see my friends out there. And I didn't really know anybody in Somerville. So that was definitely hard. Um, also, like stepping into a new academic space was interesting, especially coming straight from undergrad. Um, so it just I, I feel like it was just like a heavy load of change that happened last year for me um, and kind of like reframing like what I'm doing with my life and where I'm going and what I want to do next and like basically re-envisioning my future and my career and what I want for myself and who I am. So I feel like it was like a very introspective time to kind of figure out what I'm doing, but (laughs) I don't mean to smirk, but no, valid. (laughs) Why are you smirking? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> good for because good for you. Yeah, it, but like it did take me a really long time to figure out like my place here. Like I didn't really know. Mm. I would say I like started to catch a grasp on it like around April May last year. But then I went home for the summer, and then when I came mm. back here in the fall, I came back with a fire lit under my ass. <laughs> Where is the one place in the world that you feel most connected to? Um, my grandparents' house in Meredith, New Hampshire. And why is that? I mean, they live on the lake there, so it's just it's beautiful, and I have a lot of really great memories with my grandparents growing up, swimming and uh, learning from my grandmother. Like that, my connection to nature was really formed through learning from my grandmother and she had a big appreciation for nature. So, um, that's a very special place. But in recent years, I've, I've realized that it's less for me, it's less so that place now. And like, I can, I can feel what that place brings me sort of anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely carrying the mem. So for me, it's like, I, in the, in one sense, don't have, don't feel as tied down anymore to a certain place as I used to, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of liberating. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, being a free spirit. Like, I feel like wind. I can really appreciate, like, when I went to California for the first time last year, I loved just how big the landscape is. And I went to the Grand Canyon as well. And, you know, mm-hmm. the desert is just so different than New England. Uh, and that I really appreciate that. That's something that I love about this planet is we really not even the planet but even just this country we have such a diversity of landscapes talk to us more about your thesis where are you with that so i'm still in the preliminary stages um working on my thesis i have my thesis advisor agaliki um i'm really excited for this um, relationship to continue because agaliki although she doesn't have much background in national parks Um, She does have a lot of background in GIS and mathematical knowledge, and I feel like we really connect on that mathematical background, um, as well as just the love for open space. She does a lot more research with like seismic interruptions and um, ancient Greece as well. But so we also bonded over the history portions a little bit. But right now I am 
trying to really narrow down a research question. I mean, I have my basic ideas and where I'm going, but um, right now I've written the importance of why we need public transportation in the national parks and the background and history of the national parks as an organization and federal entity. That's very cool. What do you think inspired you to take this on as your thesis? So I grew up in a small coastal town in Connecticut, mm-hmm. and it's very much a touristy town, like mm-hmm. in the summer population. What town? East Lyme, Connecticut. Okay. That's like where I grew up. Both my parents grew up there. Mm-hmm. Both my grandparents mm-hmm. are living there. I have aunts and uncles. Like my uncle nice. was my principal at my high school. Mm-hmm. So it's very much home to me. Mm-hmm. And the environment has always been like a huge passion of mine, whether it was going to the beaches and like cleaning up or going on a hike mm-hmm. during the day or even just, you know, going for a swim, you know, it didn't matter. I loved being outside. Mm -hmm. So I ended up getting a job at the Parks and Rec office and I ended up working there for four years in high school. Yeah, high school. Okay. So I worked at the beaches for like four years and then I actually got promoted to the assistant secretary Mm -hmm. of the Parks and Rec office. So I worked directly with the director of the Parks and Recreation Department. Um, So I got to see like the inner workings of like the parks Mm -hmm. and that kind of led my drive for like public spaces and open green spaces. Mm -hmm. I think it's been a long time coming. Um, Growing up, I was always a huge lover of being outdoors and going camping and spending time with my family and just appreciating nature and what she has to offer. That kind of sparked my interest, which Mm -hmm. was later ignited by David Schuyler, who really was the one who got me into the world of urban planning. It actually had to do with a registration problem that happened my freshman year of college. There was just like a mess up and there was a hold on my account. So I ended up registering late in all the classes that Mm. all freshmen take, like psychology or like environmental studies or, you know, all of the fun classes were taken. And I was like, shoot, what am I going to do? And so I had taken American Studies 100 my first semester of college. Mm. So that allowed me to take all of the other prerequisite like AMS classes. Mm -hmm. And I registered for the American Landscape, which was taught by David Schuyler, who later became my advisor. Mm. And he had studied urban planning at Columbia. He's very well written. He's published many books. actually just published one about the Hudson River Valley right before he passed. Mm. But he was like the one who got me into urban planning, that one class. So that registration error actually Mm. was probably the biggest blessing I've ever received because it opened my eyes to what I am truly passionate about, which Mm -hmm. is urban planning. I did a lot of my work in his classes on um, American nature and the American landscape. And that kind of uh, guided me towards Tufts. So I had like a little bit of prior knowledge coming in about the national parks that I knew I wanted to continue my work with that. Um, And then the accessibility portion. So my father is actually an amputee, so um, we, whenever we go um, to any tourist attraction or any family vacation, we always have to take that into account and figure out the most accessible ways to tour around and go sightseeing. So when I went to Yellowstone and Grand Teton last summer, Um, We found that those were pretty accessible parks um, due to their um, infrastructure and um, multimodal paths and trails that they had. Um, So it was definitely an easier trip for him. But um, the need for public transport in the national parks is definitely a piece that's missing 
um, and it would really reduce a lot of the autocentricity and ecological degradation that occurs um, due to tourism today. Yeah, I feel like we're seeing that issue of transportation in and through the parks a lot more now. Like it's sort of it's towards the end of the leaf peeping peak season here in New England. And I don't know about you, but my TikTok was flooded with all these photos of the notch and the beautiful leaves, but also all this car traffic. And as someone who's who's from New Hampshire, I just like hate to think of like going to these beautiful places and then you just see all these cars emitting greenhouse gases, like destroying what you have come there to admire. Oh, the level of tourism has gotten unmanageable, mm. especially with the amount of cars that go in and out of the national parks every single day, not even just on like the federal highways and everything. We really need to figure out how to make more accessible, easier public transport so that it's actually more beneficial for people to do that rather than drive their own cars. Mm -hmm. And rethinking the way that transportation is in the U.S. because the car is quite literally the least efficient way to get anywhere fast, especially with the infrastructure that we have today and the lack of funding that we have had up until the infrastructure bill that was passed. You say driving a car is the most inefficient way of travel? Yeah, in, in my in my eyes. In what sense? Um, that it is a very individualized um, experience having a car, and it's also very exclusive to a population of people that can afford it, and it's also very much a necessity in today's society. So it's an um, exclusionary practice, having transportation be centered around cars. Yeah, I just think it's tough conversation, especially with the efficiency piece, because I think that's one reason that's a statement about efficiency where people argue against public transportation because you they look at what most public transportation cur currently is in this country and say, oh, the buses run slow, they're infrequent, or here in Boston, we've had a slew of MBTA our public transit system shutdowns and, and cancellations and a fire even yeah and just crazy stuff like that so people will say oh it's not efficient it's way actually way more efficient for me to drive because i can get to where i'm going in a much faster way yeah we need to incentivize using public transport because public transport really is the best way to get around um it's the most environmentally friendly it's the most um, user-friendly, I would say as well, especially uh, when you talk, talk about Vision Zero and the amount of crashes and deaths or serious injury that happen um, in roadways due to cars, um, not just because of bikes and pedestrians and shared use spaces. Um, I think that brings up another, uh, it's an epidemic. Um, yeah, I mean, just yesterday, our one of our famous celebrities yeah, um, oh, shoot, what was his name? Rest in peace, Leslie Jordan. Yeah, right? Leslie Jordan. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe I've... Prime example. Yeah. Um, very un unexpected, died in a car crash. Um, that is something that just should not be happening because it is... Preventable. Very preventable. 100% preventable, actually. But that's a little so, bit extreme. War on cars. <clears throat> yeah, war on cars. Forget about the war on drugs. <laughs> Forget about the war on terrorism. War on cars. Well, thank you very much for the introduction today, Peter. 
and for having me here talking and listening to my tarot reading. <laughs> yeah, happy to have you. I'm glad we could introduce you and looking forward to all the, the content we're going to make and people will interview and whatnot. Absolutely. Make sure to keep your eyes and ears out for an episode interviewing lecturer Mark Chase, um, my lecturer for bicycle and pedestrian planning this semester. So, um, Allie, where can we find you on social? Um, you guys can follow me on Instagram. I have a private account, but I'll let all <laughs> y'all follow me because, you know, I feel like we're going to really connect. <laughs> um, but my Instagram is at Allie Christians, um, A-L-L-I-E-C-H-R-I-S-T-E-N-S. Um, you can also find me on Facebook. Um, yeah. Cool. And LinkedIn. Oh, don't forget about my LinkedIn. Oh, yeah. Hit your girl that. up on LinkedIn. Yeah, hit me on LinkedIn. Get you know I'm always trying to network. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, lovely having you again. Thank you so much, Ali. Thank you. All right. Mwah. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening.